0: Rachel, what are you doing? I'm just finishing episode 20 of my Lessons from Last podcast. 20? That's brilliant. Who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Martha Johnson. What's her story? Well, her husband suddenly died of a heart attack while she was at home, and it's just about what she learnt from that experience, but also the lessons that she learnt from his life. That's very sad. Did he have any involvement with porcupines? No, I don't think so. Support a porcupine feature this episode? No. One day perhaps. Let's go anyway. Hello and welcome to the Lessons from Loss podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly what we learn from them which positively guide and defines our lives today. I'm your host Rachel Smith and each episode I chat with a different guest. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their stories and the impact that hearing these stories has on you, the listener. So do please look after yourself when you listen. So today, I'm delighted to be chatting to Martha. 13 years ago, her husband had a heart attack whilst at home. And a few hours later, ultimately, she had to make the difficult decision to turn off the life support machine. Out of this sudden, tragic loss... Came a new perspective on life and a gratitude for the lessons learned. Welcome, Martha. Hello, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming on today and and talking about your loss. Gosh, that must have just been such a shock. And I do want to ask, sort of, were there any warning signs? But before we get into that, perhaps you could just start by telling us a bit a bit about George and your relationship. Sure, Rachel. Um,
1: So yeah. 2008 December I just clearly remember this was my mother's um 65th birthday and we'd had um they had some events going on so we couldn't visit her on the day so George and I just decided we were going to stay at home he'd had a little bit of a flu bug for about three to four days so he'd not been to the office and um We were just resting, we'd had our um, carport converted into a extension um, at our house, and all the work had been completed, and George suggested, oh, why don't we start moving some furniture back in now, it's decorated and all ready. Um, So probably around 3pm, he decided, oh, let's just slowly move some furniture over And about an hour later, he said, oh, my arm's hurting. I don't know if I've just pulled a muscle here. So I said to him, should we, you know, do we need to take some painkillers? Do you want me to call 111 and get some advice? He's like, no, I'll just take some painkillers and let's just um, sit down and rest, see what happens. And then probably about half an hour later, he's like, the pain's getting gradually worse so actually let's go to A&E because you know I just don't know what's happening and he didn't indicate the pain was in his heart at all he just kept saying it was in his shoulder and his arm
0: mm.
1: and yeah so as as we're getting ready to go go to hospital he made it upstairs and George is like actually just call an ambulance they'll get here sooner I'm dialing 999 to start speaking to an operative and George just um, sort of collapsed on the bed and sort of took his final breath at that point effectively. So the operative got me to start performing CPR on him and sort of we had one uh, rapid response paramedic out within six minutes at the house there was an ambulance on the way to support the paramedic and she realized that actually they'll need a fourth paramedic so a paramedic on a bike was sent over I had to help the paramedic get George back off the bed onto the floor so she could start shocking him and then she asked me to just go downstairs wait for the paramedics try and call a friend or some family over to helped me get us to hospital get his medication lists together
0: gosh what was going through
1: your mind at that point I was just I think adrenaline kicked in it was like I I didn't realize the severity of what was going on just because I thought they've got here in time and everything will be okay you know As the ambulance paramedics arrived, they went upstairs to help the rapid response paramedic and the rapid response paramedic came back down and said, we need to get to hospital. We've got the heart back up and running with the machine. It might not look good. So just be prepared for that. Um, Follow us to the hospital. So the four paramedics got George back down into the ambulance a friend had arrived and took me to a and and yeah it just felt like a scene out of what i describe as watching casualty on a saturday mm. evening where you know you're in this room i had about probably 30 different medics trying to attend to george they took his blood blood gases um intubated him and they were I guess within 45 minutes when the results came back they were like you know yes the heart's functioning with the machine however because he was oxygen deprived for about six minutes till that rapid response paramedic got back his brain was uh, in a vegetative state already and the organs had suffered from oxygen loss so they were probably starting to fail and Yes, it was in a matter of probably less than an hour of getting to any that that decision had to be made, you know, let's switch off the life support machine. And I guess as we come on to me talking about George's previous history, I just felt, you know what, this is what he would want. He would not want me to fight to leave him on a life support machine, Mm. um, seek second third opinions because he would not want to suffer and I I have to let him go it was just the adrenaline I think just didn't let me cry or get angry and upset at that point it was just that autopilot mode of what's going to be the best decision for George at this point
0: for me goodness it's just one of those things isn't it you and you you just don't know how you're going to react until you're in that situation and then somehow miraculously as you say the the adrenaline kicks in and kind of takes over that must have been so hard to have made that that decision although I suppose in a way knowing him as well as you did knowing that that's what he would have wanted perhaps made that decision a a little easier
1: in in my heart of hearts yes that was the absolute right decision to make I knew I had family who would have been with me within an hour their advice would be the same they they wouldn't ask us to make a different decision at all um, and I think my mode of but actually somebody else might need this a space you know why fight for something when we know that the loss has already happened mm-hmm. um that sort of kicked in and so that's possibly you know I was just like he's had his time George came into this life for a reason has fulfilled what he needed to I've got to let him go um and that's where I sort of made that decision let's let's switch off the life support machine and and you know The NHS are incredible. The the nurses just looked after me, got me into like a little private family room. My friend was kept in a separate area, but with access to me, I sat with George till my family arrived. They didn't rush us at all. They let my whole family spend time together with George and me. Um, And when it came to taking George away, the nurse was just trying to, be as 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 I guess gentle with us, and I said I'd like to help you get George ready to send him down to the mortuary because I just felt like this will be, I guess, my final, the final, um, what's the word? I'd like to say it'll be the final time I'll be able to look after him and serve him and you know just be there for him. So
0: yeah um really difficult yeah Yeah. that's what a beautiful thing to have been able to do though and to have to have somehow had the presence of mind to think that you wanted to do that to to make that kind of final act of of service of of looking after him
1: I think for me Rachel we have talked about this before it was um The unexpected loss, I then went through the different phases of the grief, you know, where it was, you know, on the day. Yes, I accepted the position, I made the decision. Probably in that first week where I had to go through getting a death certificate through the coroner, arranging the funeral, having sort of the family remembrance for him everything i functioned on autopilot rarely slept and then i guess after the funeral cuz we we were relatively lucky that we were able to get the body released quickly and have the funeral done uh, in in a timely manner and i think it was after the funeral that it just hit me i i had my family staying with me for about 3 weeks and then I got to a stage, I'm like, while everyone's around me, I'm being wrapped up in cotton wool, and I can't can't process what I've got to go through, mm-hmm. um, so I guess I sort of gently sent my family back, um, much as, you know, it, it was hard for my parents to say, leave, leave Martha on her own, but I'm like, I now need to process this, you need to start, getting on and moving forward with your life um and then it was you know the lonely evenings and getting back from work or weekends on your own I'm like Mm. okay then the denial kicked in you know guilt why did this have to happen life isn't fair what what did George do to deserve this before and you know it probably it was a lot of ups and downs, probably, I'd say at least three years before I accepted the loss and say, yeah. actually, I've got to find a way forward. I can't live in the past. Um,
0: yeah. Did you ever have any any doubt about the decision that you'd made during that time?
1: Do You know, the doubts were brought about by possibly speaking to people around me who I thought were you know either like distant relatives or friends where they were like did you make the right decision and I'm like what sort Mm. of question is that to ask somebody who's probably had to make the worst decision in their life um and and I mean some of the stuff like one of the friends had said you know did you make that right decision they also questioned the funeral send-off I had I didn't go down didn't follow any traditional routes I wanted a humanitarian ceremony to celebrate George's life so I was just like why why would you even question somebody you Mm. know when when they're hurting and torn up inside um and then I guess maybe when there was times when I wanted to beat myself up I would feel guilty I'm like question myself did I make that right decision and then I'd keep on going back to but actually you know the George who had come into my life what George had been through the family history so George's family has had a history of Parkinson's and this was in the younger generation so George's generation and the the children's generation And George's biggest fear always was if ever he fell ill and they'd operate on him, he would get Parkinson's and then he would get into a bad, bad um, Mm. situation like his brothers and nephew had been. So and that's why he'd always said, I don't ever want to be operated on if anything ever happens to me because I don't want to get the Parkinson's in my life. So um, and I think that's what had made me make that decision around um the life support side of things i'm like so if his organs have started failing if he's in a vegetative state any intervention we do is maybe to to give somebody else that little peace of mind and satisfaction but it's not going to benefit george at all
0: often that very first gut instinct reaction is just always the right one isn't it you know the one that you the one that you go to first of all that your your body is screaming out at you that's the right decision to make
1: absolutely I think your your heart has to rule the head at that time because mm-hmm. the heart knows what's the right decision I think the head can make you probably question and reevaluate and reassess and get different views but the heart will tell you at the offset what to do and and I followed my instinct my heart to say you have to do this because George has suffered enough yeah through his life so and one of the things George had always taught me and you know to this day Rachel I carry it with me he'd always said you have to live for today because you don't know what's around the corner for you tomorrow and that's how George had always lived his life in so, you know, he's been out of my life 13 years. We'd been together 11 and a half years and married for eight of those. So sort of being without George for longer than yes. we had been together. But yeah. I still carry that because he'd seen a lot of hardship in his life and a lot of sorrow.
0: And uh,
1: yeah, so um, yeah, he he just said, go, go, go with the flow, you know.
0: Yeah, what I mean, what a wonderful legacy to to have left for you.
1: Absolutely, I I I feel, and this is the the older, wiser Martha, if I can put it that way. Um, you know, I really feel he came into my life for a season. Um, Mm. he came into my life. We were both when we'd initially met. We were. friends working together actually we were working together we became friends through work I I was in a bit of a relationship where I knew it wasn't going anywhere but I didn't know how to get out of it so I'd confide in George and George sort of gave me the confidence to walk away from that relationship while we were just still friends and then suddenly he lost his mother and that was I think the trigger point for a lot of the loss that George started to suffer with in his life um and maybe Rachel if that's okay I'd like to talk a little bit about that because of course I I feel this seasonal appearance in my life and George's the the losses George had suffered I've learned a lot from it and maybe that's what's given me the, um, to actually say I can move forward and take away some stuff. So George lost his mother very suddenly and probably 20 years prior to that, he'd lost his father while he was still in his sort of um, young education days. He had to give up his um, exams so he could take over the father's business to wind it down and close it up. So he never had an education, wound up the father's business and being one of seven siblings uh, and he was the second youngest. It just created a lot of family rivalry. The elder siblings wanted to take stuff off the mother. So George decided he was going to sort of keep the relationship with the mother, but not with the siblings, move away and do something for himself so he never grieved for his father moved Mm. away started a career and then changed his career which is the point I met him and lost his mother so he went through a lot of ups and downs um when he lost his mother we were still friends at this point and you know I just kept finding he went off had the funeral came back and He just went into himself. You could see he wouldn't eat. Um, So while we're working, I was trying to converse with him, talk to him. I'd go and get him lunches. And I'm thinking, you know, where is this going to, you know, what's happening here? And it went on for a number of weeks. And I got to stage, I'm like, George doesn't seem right. I was getting out of my relationship and. He had a room going spare in his um, house. So I said, could I move in with you? I'll split the rent with you. It didn't go down well with my family at this point because they just realised that there was a man. I was still through university. I'd I'd taken a gap year. Would I give up education because I'd come met, met this man? And so, you know, I'd sort of defied all the odds with my family And moved in with George and realized actually, okay, I think there's going to be a relationship here, but it was a very rocky relationship that started because he got diagnosed with clinical depression off the back of his mother's loss, um, nearly at the start of our relationship. Um, And that was a very, I guess, difficult phase to start a relationship but I was just like you know what I've come into this he's helped me come out of something let me see what I can do to help George here and it was a tough three years Rachel because there was highs there was lows he didn't work for 18 months of the three years um and at the beginning because he he took a while to accept that there was clinical depression. Um, He got a very good doctor supporting him, but then starting the medication, I would go back off to work. So at home, he'd just go into a spiral. He'd either be drinking or we'd had internet at that point. So he'd be on the internet and get onto gambling sites. So I'm coming home to I just didn't know what I was coming home to a lot of times (laughs) actually Rachel and I mean tough within
0: early day I mean tough at any point in a relationship but early on in a relationship that's that's hard when you haven't even kind of put down your you know stable roots
1: correct yeah um and probably about 10 11 months into this cycle um and at this point we've moved from he was renting a much bigger property and I was like, we don't really need all this. Let's cut down some expense. So we moved into a smaller property and um, I'd gone off to work. Uh, there had been where my parents were living at that point. Um, there had been a sadly a terrorist uh, situation. And so I came back home because I was a little bit in bits Um came home and I couldn't get back into the house George had locked me out I was like oh no what's happening here and he was just in such a bad state um, with his drink and he wouldn't let me in luckily we had a shared access to to the flat and um I managed to get the neighbor's children to let me get to the uh, entrance door come mm. through come upstairs And then I had to coax him to get me to open the door, let me in. I had to just totally forget about what my family were going through. Luckily, they were okay. So that, I guess, maybe just told me family's okay, so please deal with George. And he was in that bad a state. I sort of got to a stage, I just rang the doctors and said, I'm going to section him because he's just you know, this is going nowhere. I'm really concerned about him. And I happened to speak to the same GP that was helping him through his depression, um, counselling and follow-up appointments. And the GP just said to me, Martha, can you just sleep over this tonight? Because this is possibly just a reaction to what you've experienced, what you're seeing. And just wait sleep over it tonight we'll speak tomorrow because this will be a life-changing decision if you do section him so I said okay I agree let's sleep over this um and then, yeah the next morning sort of George and I chatted a bit obviously I hadn't told him what I was thinking at this point because I'm like that will just tip him over the edge yeah. George realized he needed a lot more help he sort of said willingly i'll get more counseling support i'm gonna cut back on the drinking handed all the credit cards to me so he didn't have access to getting onto all these sites and um, yeah so we called the doctor and got some more help for him and yeah started following a process and a journey to see him through so he would see a counsellor, but as I said, three years of very hard graft. Um, and at this point, I think my family had realised, okay, George, you know, George has been through quite a lot in his life. So, you know, we can't stop them doing anything. You know, we got married, we bought our first house together and, you know, he he felt, well enough to go through a career change. So this was his second career change from having given up his education. And I think when we'd met and through through all the counseling or through him addressing what his clinical depression issues were. um, Yeah, so, and then also finding somebody who supported him to say, fine, embrace it, do the change you want. And, you know, now when I think of the, the guy I'd met who was in retail sales, who was then at towards the sort of peak of his life before he passed away, he was working with quite big pharma companies, got to travel the world, world a lot. So, but one of the things, and and I guess it was never openly spoken about, Rachel, was, that he was probably at his lowest point at at losing his mom because he just felt his world had crumbled. Yeah. Um, And he'd never openly said this to many people. Um, We probably had a rule of thumb never to talk about it. You know, whatever he discussed at counselling was left at Mm counselling unless he wanted to discuss, discuss it with me. But after he'd passed away, I found out from one of his colleagues who he'd been on his last business trip. And he told this colleague, had Martha not come into my life, I would have probably begun gone eight years, nine years beforehand. Um, because I think losing his mother, he just felt that was the end of his world. And and he was very suicidal, but he just had nobody like his two best friends as soon as he was diagnosed with clinical depression, ran away and didn't want anything to do. with mm-hmm. him. And this stranger who he'd met through work, who he would chat to now and then suddenly decided, actually, I want to invest time in this relationship and friendship or friendship and relationship. So I gave him a little bit of time and we created our memories but I learned a lot from him you know I I learned that you've just got to let go if if there are things that are going to bother you if there are things that don't satisfy you don't go chasing don't go chasing people if you're going to have to beg for their attention is he would always say to me is like just let go of them he's like I I can count to my true friends on one hand Mm. you know and these are things you know it took me a little while after losing George to say but oh what you said there makes sense now because I'll walk away from this situation life's too short you know I I don't want to be
0: embroiled in a discussion that's not relevant for me or that's really nice isn't it because on the face of it, listening to um, what you've said there, it would seem very much that you came into his life and you were the one that, that helped him um, and everything else. But actually, when you start then reflecting on what you learned from that, having him in your life taught you so much that actually you enriched each other's lives.
1: Yes that is very true and I think that the, the enriching one another is you you've probably hit the nail on the head Rachel because we've both given something back to one another mm. it was always a a you know two-way partnership so when I first lost George um I remember this is before the funeral and somebody stood next to my mother and she was widowed very young. And she said to my mother, oh, Martha's really young. She's not got any children. You've got to get her married again. Don't let her be on her own. And I remember standing there getting really angry and saying, Mm. how can somebody say this when George hasn't even been laid to rest yet yeah. um and then another friend wonderful friend was there for me straight away her father-in-law made a passing comment to me maybe about three months later he's like oh you'll meet somebody and I'm like I never want to meet anybody at you know at the beginning Rachel I just felt I wanted to just function daily go to work come home And one day my time's going to come, and I'll go, you know, when I go, George will be waiting for me. And I'm like, I'm just waiting for that day to come. I never felt suicidal, but I'm just like, my time will come. Mm. And then I. It's funny, isn't it, how
0: people kind of ask that. I mean, I can remember after my husband died, uh, you know, I mean, literally it was about two or three days afterwards. I mean, we hadn't even got the funeral day organized. And. um, uh, a friend's husband sort of said, "Oh, you know, do do you think you'll meet somebody else?" kind of thing, and it was like, "What?" I mean, it was such a, a surreal conversation to be having. I so know, early on. Um, but I but I don't, you know, I I think it was you know it, w- it was said with with best intentions isn't it? people f- often feel very sort of awkward in those situations so yeah
1: um,
0: yeah, yeah and, it, it's difficult and- but when you're on the receiving end of it it's just like what <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know. it's 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 hard yeah you've just got to bite your lip because it's like yeah I mean you know around the time I lost George then <laughs> i I just felt, oh my God, I'm the bad omen here is like my next door neighbor who is probably one of my best friends now, so for a year, her and her partner would just look after me, get me out and about, or check in on me and a year to George's death anniversary, her partner got taken ill, and then a year to his funeral anniversary, he passed away so we just now, between us, we just have this bond that, you know, we've both grown and developed off the loss of of our partners or our husband. We've both found different relationships off the back of this. It's taken a while, but we've been through that journey. But it was in that 18-month period, Rachel, I had not only me, but three other friends lost their husbands. And I was just like, okay, this is like, I can't cope with any more of this around me um and I just became a real I just kept myself to myself and I'm like I'd go to work I'd put that mask and persona on to say I'm functioning but then at home I'm like I don't know how to socialize anymore I don't know what to do Mm. um that was really hard and then I think oh I don't know I need to find a way I need to integrate back into society what do I do because you know every night I'm going to bed thinking I'm a day closer to getting back with George and then I'm like but actually I'm 30 you know when George passed away I was just turning 33 I'm like I I might be alive for another 50 odd years you know if I go with my family genes then I'm like you can't function like this daily so I think I so I'd, I'd had bereavement counseling which was yeah it was okay and then I had a bit of CBT to help me to start dealing with um some of the post-traumatic sort of flashbacks I was having around Mm. the CPR and the ambulance and the a and E. I I mean to this day I've had to go back into that A&E once with a friend but I just can't face myself going there um no yeah, in 2020, they showed that same room as part of one of the COVID wards. Um, I, I still recall that um, that same room. Uh, oh gosh! In, in, in the hospital, and I remember I called my mentor um, because we were talking about something else, and I said, "This has just knocked me over." And she's like, "Just put that program out of your mind." So you know, I, I had to go back to my CBT. Two years ago, just to try and yeah. refocus and get away from that trauma side of things, so I, I personally had, you know, I, I wasn't sleeping much, so I was having some um, antidepressants to help me with sleep, uh, and that was possibly for two to three years. I had some counselling, and then I got to a stage I'm like. I'm learning to pick myself up when I get upset about a loss I'm learning to pick up the signs quicker and I'm learning to recover quicker but I can't live this life on my own I've got to find you know a lot of friends where we were doing stuff as couples suddenly disappeared I'm like okay so I now need to build my own my own environment and find my own pace again um and one of the things I always wanted to do, I'd admired an aunt of mine who used to do ceramics. so I'm like, ah, oh, let me just see what the council or what's offered for me to do ceramics as a mm. say night night course or a night school type of course. Um, and I yeah, I joined up this um, ceramics group. Where I did it for about four or five terms where every Thursday night I'd go off and create something, built built quite a nice circle of um, friends off the back of it. And as I was about to leave, because I was about to start a job back in London, so I was like, I can't commute and do night school. So I was like, okay, I might have to give up the night classes and do ad hoc weekends or whatever. As I was leaving, a person called Damien. and I say a person, I, I last now because I'll be shot down for calling my current partner. Um, so yeah, so Damien joined and took over my place basically at um, at this night uh, night course, and possibly about six months after I'd left, I met Damien through the other mutual friends mm. I um had at the pottery class. Um, and and we just formed a friendship. I I wasn't and, and we probably you know what actually for two or three years we just stayed friends we had this common so we started doing ceramics um on our away from night school and actually three of us set up our own ceramic studio um built a friendship out of it and through that friendship we discovered actually we quite liked doing other stuff together so there was fitness involved um started running um, swimming and yeah it was triathlon uh, training that actually triggered a lot more of our common interests um, but by this stage Rachel I've got to like but we're really good friends I don't know Damien Damien's circumstances or his family situation i might be a bit too old for him so that's what kept holding me back a lot about actually is there anything worth pursuing here and then damien at that point was doing a an mba and um so i'd supported him through some of his exams and papers uh just being there as you know what well, if you want to break let's go for a walk and at the end of the MBA, he decided, oh, I want to go on a break. And I said to him, oh, why don't we both go away together? We, you know, take our mountain bikes with us and just rent somewhere where there's two rooms. Um, And then I'd say the rest is history because we <laughs> went away and sort of it was like actually yeah okay we want to be together um and this is us eight years on so but yeah it took me about three years to even acknowledge I wanted to start socializing yeah and then it took probably a good two years of being really good friends with Damien before I actually said okay now I'm ready for relationship and and it's a different relationship it's you know I'd I feel very blessed and lucky because Damien doesn't, he he acknowledges George as a friend he never got to meet, doesn't feel threatened by what George and I had, really helps embrace and celebrate any anniversaries or any special dates that come up. But we've then sort of set up you know, we've got our own future now and we found our own way forward. So you don't move on. I don't think Rachel, when you've suffered a loss, you just learn to adapt and find a different chapter and move forward, I think.
0: And how lovely that Damien, you know, is able to, to accept and, and embrace that part of your life, the life that you had with George, because it you know, it it can be very difficult for not very difficult, but you know, it, it can be a challenge for for when new partners come along to kind of accept that, isn't it? It's I think it lose, losing somebody, you know, in that they die is is a different scenario to divorce. Say it's you know it's it's just different, isn't it? It's so that's that's really lovely that Damien's been able to. Be open and, and accepting of you know that relationship, that special relationship that you had with George.
1: Absolutely. And and I think I I really value that as he's so non-judgmental. And he's the one sometimes, like my parents at one point were suggesting, okay, now Damien's in your life, and you know, you're so many years down in that relationship actually should we take George's photograph down? Because it's a bit of an insult for Damien to keep coming to our house and see George's photo up in the house. And he stood up and said, no, George is part of the family. You can't just hide him away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just tells you, actually, that, you know, there are people out there who will just accept you for who you are. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel very, very just lucky, honored and privileged that I've been given this second chance in life. Um mm. I, I never thought I would. Um I've had to kiss some frogs along the way, just you know, <laughs> to to say, oh, how do I how do I get back into a relationship? And yeah, so but yeah, I feel very, very lucky. Uh, yeah. so. and to
0: have had the honour of two relationships with Two people who have, you know, clearly taught you a lot as well, ways of being in life and philosophies of life.
1: And they've they've taught me different lessons. Yeah, yes, um, yeah. Just totally different lessons, but actually some carry the same values. Um mm. so yeah. Um and I keep, you know, I have to keep joking to Damien, um, that actually. If I have to go before you, that's okay. I've been through it. You've heard about my journey. But I sort of keep saying to him, you have to go and find somebody because I don't ever want you to be on your own. Um and he's like, No, 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 I can't do it. But well, I'm just like, I, I wouldn't want him to be on his own because no. I knew how lonely and painful it was. So yeah, I hope maybe one day he might listen to this and when I might be gone, and he might say, "Okay, she did talk some sense one day."
0: So yeah. <laughs> <every> day. <laughs> oh. So, out of all of this, what would you say has been sort of like the the key lesson?
1: I think for me, the key lesson is you 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 must embrace life to its full. Um, it's it's actually what George said. You know, you live for today, as you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold for you um that has been and and I, I guess the the bit he always used to caveat with it was you know I'll travel the world I'll have nice food and I'll enjoy all the nice little luxuries I work hard for it so as long as I'm not leaving any debt behind for anybody else I'm gonna have a damn good life because yeah and you know he he literally didn't know that one Sunday evening would be his last breath um and there was maybe a bit of a I'd say he had this sixth sense in him Rachel because as I said it was my mom's 65th birthday on the day he passed away but because he knew we weren't going to see her and he'd been ill the week um running up to it he said to me on the Saturday is like can we please just go and see your mom and dad because it's mom's birthday we won't see her and I just want to tell them I love them and I sometimes I think was that his way of going and Gosh. saying his goodbye to them yeah. we saw his goddaughter that evening after we would got back from my mom's and again he was like his best his favorite wine was a Chateauneuf de Pape and he'd just got a nice decent bottle and he said to the godparent uh, the the children of the goddaughter "Ah, oh, let's just get a kebab in and we'll open this bottle of wine I'm like he, he just wanted to see the people he loved and cherished mm. um, to say that goodbye and I remember coming back home from the hospital that late Sunday night to early Monday morning and I I couldn't sleep and my mum was sat, slept next to me and both of us just heard this. Now this is, what, the 9th of December, like 2am in the morning, Monday morning cold and we just heard the massive bird song and... My mom just through her beliefs, always believes this was, again, just George coming to say, I'll always be here. I'll yeah. be. that little person looking after you, looking over your shoulder. Um, yeah, so for me, it definitely, I think I totally embrace that now. It's like, yeah, just live for today and just don't have any regrets at all in life.
0: Yeah, gosh, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing all that. It's it's really d- interesting to, well, just a heartwarming really that you've, you know, out, out of that you've actually founded a, a new relationship and being and have it have learned so much from both of them that has really kind of enriched your life and and takes that forward so that you're living now I guess your best life
1: yes that's really true um Rachel because actually if you look at the life I had with George I was there caring and nurturing him through his illness and you know what we now realize was his suicidal thoughts and that was a different life I I had and where where could that have led to you don't know but you know, I've gone, I've learned, I've grown up, I've embraced and accepted the loss, um, learned from it, and I've come and met Damien, and I, I have a different life and future, um, and it's it's quite funny because George had supported me through a career change in his latter years, probably in his last three years before he passed away, and I'm, I'm still in that career, but I've just moved a lot further forward in that career so but then that's through the support of Damien in the last Mm -hmm. sort of eight years as well so um yeah I, I feel very lucky and just very privileged that I've had that opportunity and um don't don't feel it's the end when you lose somebody just learn from it and yeah find 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 your way forward
0: thank you so much martha it's been a a really lovely conversation and i wish you and damien all the best
1: no thank you rachel and thank you for giving me this opportunity and the platform to just talk about there there is there is hope and there there can be a different future so no thank you
0: i really love the lessons that martha has learned not only from the passing of her husband but also from the relationships being open and receptive to learning from those around us thank you so much to martha and to all my guests wow 20 podcasts already i'm so appreciative of my support networks who helped me produce this podcast to jamie farrell for the beautiful music but also to To you, the listener, I'm getting near a thousand downloads now, which is just amazing. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you again in a few weeks with another Lesson from Loss.